James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing praise is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it may not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let us ask the Lord for help. Father, we come to you as men with feet of clay, men fallen because of our sin. And often our sin blurs us from seeing the truth of your word. As we gather this morning, we pray that you may open the eyes of our hearts to receive your truth with meekness grant grace grant faithfulness on my part and grant faithfulness also on the part of the hearers that they will be faithful to heed to your word we pray that we may be strengthened by the preaching of your word this morning we ask these things in jesus name amen we are nearing the end of this letter of James and I must admit that I'm a bit sad because it's been a privilege to study and to prepare sermons from this letter James has done a wonderful job of painting to us the portrait of the messiness of the life of faith in a fallen world he has shown us the struggles of trials, the struggles of temptations, the struggles of anger, the struggles of partiality, the struggles of 
quarrels and fights, the struggles of faith and works, the struggles of wisdom. And all these things I believe you and I can relate to. Those are real struggles in our lives. And perhaps the most important thing that James ends here is the thing that we always have to carry. As you struggle to live a life of faith in this modern world, James has invited us to consider a paradigm for living. No longer is our life shaped by the small kingdom agenda of your wants, of your wants, of your needs, of your feelings. God is inviting us to have a larger scope of agenda of his kingdom. James is very honest about the struggle that we have in our lives. This is a description really of the life of a Christian. We don't always encounter trials with joy. He says in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of various kind. We struggle with sin and we don't often realize that it is sin that comes from our heart. It is not the circumstances, it's not the people around us. We often think that we are wiser than we are. We often think that we are more sovereign than we actually are. And James points, paints to us a portrait of our struggles. And so he ends, we come, um, I believe we have three, uh, we have two messages after this morning of this book and James ends this episode with a very radical message and he talks to us about prayer and this is something for us to remember this is very important to us as we seek to live a life of faith in the midst of all the messiness around us the messiness of the broken world it is very important for us to remember day after day that God is with us God is for us and prayer does that let me read again from verse 13 to 18 is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing praise is anyone among you sick let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth then he prayed again and the earth gave rain and the earth <coughs> sorry and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit there are many portions of scripture that you read and it is very clear and you know what is there. But there are other options, like what we'll consider this afternoon, that you come to, and it is very difficult. This morning we come to a passage that is very problematic for us. This is one of the most disputed passages in the Bible. There are many views in this passage. Faith healers have used this passage to justify their healing ministry. Some people have used this passage to say that if you're sick, it is because of sin in your life. If you deal with your sin, you'll be well. The Roman Catholic Church has used these verses to purport that those who are sick and about to die should be anointed with oil in various parts of the body, and the priest should pray for them. Sadly, many of the interpretations out there, I believe, do not fit the overall theology and the context of, the, of this book. 
And so, the question we ask this morning, does this passage teach us anything about healing? Does it teach us about the physically sick? I want to say that the grammar, the context, the overall theology, and the conclusions, I do not believe that it teaches about physical illness. Should we apply oil to those who are sick? I don't believe at all. Why are the elders called? Are the prayers of the elders different from the prayers of the congregation? And so I want you to see from the beginning here that the context is not about sickness. The context is about prayer. Notice from verse 13 to 18, the repetition of the phrase prayer in various forms. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Verse 13. Verse 14, that the elders let them pray over him, anointing him with oil of the Lord. Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save him and he'll be forgiven of his sins. And then verse 16, pray for one another. And then he says again, prayer of a righteous person has great powers, it's working. And then he says of Elijah, Elijah prayed fervently. Verse 17, he did not rain. And then verse 18, he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. And so the overall repetition shows that the context here is about prayer. It's not about physical illness. And throughout the book of James, there's no, there's no mention of physical illness. We know the context. We began uh, this chapter, and from verse 1 to 6, it is talking about the oppression of Christians by these rich, wicked people. And then verse 12 is talking about Sorry, verse 7 to 11 talks is an exhortation to Christians to be patient in their suffering. And then verse 12 has nothing to do with suffering. It's this issue of sinful speech and broken commitments. That is what we considered last week. We saw that it's a very real danger to a Christian. All these verses leading up to verse 13 is dealing with the issue of suffering. It's not about sick people about prayer and so we'll seek to do the first half of uh, verse 13 to 15 and then hopefully next Sunday we'll consider verse 16 to 18 and so these Christians are facing persecution and the persecution is severe and they are dispersed scattered because of persecution Sorry, allow me to mention something about our charismatic friends. I, I think when they use this passage and say that it is calling for healing, that those who are sick, when they are anointed with oil, they will be restored. We know very clearly that it is wrong because they don't recognize the sovereignty of God. Um, it is God who heals and as you see in that passage it is the prayer of faith it is God who heals it's not even the anointing oil and so this is a text on prayer as I've said and uh, verse 13 talks of personal prayer it says is anyone among you suffering let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him, let him sing praise. And then verse 14 and 15 is talking about the prayers of others, the elders, for others. Verse 14 and 15, the prayers of the elders for others. And then verse 16 talks about the prayers of the congregation. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. So the prayers of the congregation for one another. 
And then verse 17, we have the example of the prayer of Elijah and how powerful it was. And so I've titled the message, Prayer is the Secret to Spiritual Power. Prayer is the Secret to Spiritual Power. And the first point in verse 13 is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. The first point is when suffering, keep praying. When suffering, keep praying. So prayer is the secret to spiritual power. And so when you're facing things in life, things that you thought you'll never face, when your life is not working out the way you had planned. Where do you run? What do you do? What do you do when things are not going well? When you're not testing the blessings of God? Where do you run to? Where do you, what do you do? So James begins for us and he says if we are suffering the first place to run to is to God. And the idea there is he must pray. He says, let him pray. He literally says, you must pray. This is a kind of suffering that means you've suffered a misfortune, that you've suffered the mistreatment of other people. It's not this kind of suffering in the context of hospital and medical care. If other people are giving you a hard time, do you know what to do? James tells us, you must pray, you need to pray. And so this is a suffering in terms of your circumstances. Suffering in terms of uh, the affliction in the hands of other people. And so the translation here is suffering in terms of misfortune in the hands of other people are not necessarily physical ailment. So if anyone is suffering hardship, they are under heavy hand of an oppressor. The command there is let him pray. Let him pray to who? Let him pray to God. God is the source of comfort. God uses if you look at first, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians, chapter three. Sorry, chapter one, verse three. Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse three. The Bible says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort." with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So it says there that we are able to comfort others in their affliction because we ourselves have been comforted by who? By God, the God of all comforts. And so God is the source of all comfort. He comforts believers so that believers can be of comfort to others. And so if we are under a heavy hand of affliction, the first place to look to is God. That we can receive comfort from Him. And prayer is a communion with God. Prayer is the source of our strength, is the source of our comfort. We take the comfort that we receive from God and use that experience to comfort others. It all begins with God. And so the question I ask you, how many times when you suffer, do you begin with God? How many times do you go to God in prayer? You see, this is the first step. We begin with God. We should realize that our comfort that we receive from God is of supernatural kind. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. 
that is the same phrase there. Paul says his suffering is bound with chains as a criminal. And the same idea, the same phrase suffering is not is the same word here translated suffering. So it is suffering in the context of physical hardship, not because of sickness. In chapter 4, verse 5 of 2 Timothy, he says again, As for you, always be sober-minded, and you are suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry to endure suffering. He tells Timothy to endure suffering. And the context is, you endure suffering because you have a headache? No. Or you have a flu? No. He says you endure like a man. And the idea here is to Timothy is, you are going to preach... And you're going to have a difficult time. And he tells him to hang in there, to persevere. And so the word they are suffering has nothing to do with physical illness. It's the word that focuses on the affliction in the hands of other people. And that, brethren, fits the context of this book. How does James open this book? He says, consider it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of every kind. Nowhere in this passage does he talk about physical illness. He's talking to people who are facing trials. And so the context of this book is trials. And throughout the chapter in throughout in chapter 5 we are seeing people who are being oppressed in the hands of rich people. And so when people give us a hard time the command there is to pray and we should continue to pray even when nothing is changing keep on praying if you're faithful in your workplace and you're going through difficulty pray when people misunderstand your intentions keep on praying so this is what james is talking about and sadly this is not what we often do what do we do when what do we often do when we are going through mistreatment. We complain. But look at verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Does he say, Let him complain? Let him murmur? He says, Let him pray. Does he say, Let him gossip? He says, Let him pray. If you hurt someone, and if you are being hurt, the first place to go to is to pray. So if anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Let him pray to the Lord God. So when sad times come in our lives, we should be a prayerful people. And so is this what we do in difficult times? Do I pray? When bad things happen, to us do we really pray there's a hymn that says I often say my prayers but do I pray do the words of my mouth relate to what is in my heart and so how do we how do I respond to bad things to bad people in all our examination we need to find our rest by placing ourselves in the hands of a person whom we believe exists. How many of us go through problems and rather than ask for counsel, the first thing they will do is to pray. How many of us spend 15 minutes of their time of an interrupted time of prayer how many of us seek counsel on an issue to God first before we run to marriage counselors, before we run to experts, before we seek advice to experienced people, uh, from experienced people? What an amazing thing prayer is. Think of what prayer is all about. When you pray, you're recognizing the sovereignty of God. When you pray, you're recognizing the presence of God. When you pray, you're recognizing the power of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. 
when you're praying you're not only seeking the help of God but you also you're fighting for your soul prayer is a spiritual warfare and often when we don't pray we are not really thinking that God is in control of this world when you don't pray we are diminishing the power of God we're diminishing the presence of God we're always thinking that God is not near perhaps God doesn't care all of us should be revisited with the promises of God all of us have questioned the sovereignty of God we've questioned the power of God the nearness of God all of us have doubted really whether God is able to answer our prayers Prayer invites us to embrace what God has said about himself. To seek him. To believe in him. And I believe this is one of the most radical acts in the life of a Christian. To take your life, to take your struggles, to take, take the most precious things in your life, the most difficult things in your life, and place them in the hands of someone you cannot see. Someone you cannot touch someone you cannot feel and hear that is very radical it's then that you realize that your life has something much more than what you can see and hear and feel it's then that you realize that your life goes beyond this world prayer invites us to realize the existence of God and sadly, even for me, I wish I could say it's easy for me to, to pray. It's easy for me to preach about it than to really do it. In the dark moments of my life, prayer has not been my fasting state. Yet we are invited by God to embrace Him, to embrace His existence, to embrace His reality of rule, His power, His grace brothers and sisters to act as though those things are real and brethren this this world is something more real something we can grasp to and that is the Lord of glory the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll ask you have you believed in him God invites us to cast our burdens and our cares upon him knowing that he sees us he hears us he cares for us and so let him keep on praying and what happens when things don't get better you wrestle with God you persevere in God and when people come to you for advice I believe one of the first things you should ask them have they sought counsel from God have they been praying about it because God should be the first refuge we run to. And so, do you pray? That's my question. Have you received that invitation? Because if you do not have Christ, Christ says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you do not have Christ, you have no access to the Lord of glory, to, to God the Father. And for you to have access, you must believe in Him. Cast your burdens and cares upon Him and believe in Him and repent of your sins. And so, the first point there is when we are suffering, we ought to pray. And then secondly, He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The second point, so when you're suffering, keep praying. When you're cheerful, keep praising. Our lives should be so in tune with God. We should be conscious of God all the time. That when you're glad, you're cheerful. It automatically translates to praising God. This is a command. It's an imperative here. And the command is, he must praise. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. 
uh, literally meaning that he must sing psalms he must sing spiritual songs he must have a life of continual praise to god when we are having a happy day we should be singing praises to god our life should be in tune with communion with god and when i have a bad day i should also thank god thank god in all circumstances so all every day of my life should be about prayer and praise because i'm constantly communing with god and so sometimes we might ask ourselves why should i run to god when i'm happy when i'm cheerful and glad when you're in a moment of joy and delight why should you run to god because you're recognizing things that ought to be recognized when you're praising god you're being delivered from idolatry in your heart because when you're so much attached to the gifts to the things that are bringing you gladness and happiness you're really worshiping those things more than god himself if you don't sing praises to god you're singing praises to those things let me ask you if this world is broken as the scripture says it is if the reality of the fall has altered everything that exists so that the way everything exists is not the way that it was intended if this entire world is groaning waiting for redemption if human being are flawed are fallen are depraved how does anything good ever happen in this world you should argue that this is the most horrible place to live yet all of us experience joys joys of family joys of financial success joys of a career joys of success in your studies we experience wonderful things that we did not plan things that we can never have control here this in this world if you have a reason to be cheerful it is because of the grace of god it is god who is withholding the ravage of sin that so that it doesn't reach its full potential it is god who is protecting us who is saving us it is god who is holding this world in unity and harmony so that in spite of the brokenness that is in this world we can experience joy as we meet to, to as we meet together this morning this afternoon think for a moment all of us have wicked hearts we are de- we are depraved yet god is restraining evil even as we sit right now so that all of us cannot decide in a moment that we are going to break the laws of this land it's the grace of god that is restraining evil even amongst the his his people and that's that's why when we when we experience good things we should be singing praises and hymns to him every good and perfect gift comes from above as as james says so there's never a day when you don't experience the restraining grace in your life and none of us deserves it the only reason that you're not as evil as as you ought to be is because god in his grace has restrained you and he gives you the grace every day and the problem is we don't really see it and then thirdly verse 14 and 15 and read verse 14 and 15 is anyone among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins will be forgiven 
there are times when we are sad there are times that we are glad but what happens when we are so discouraged we are so beat down that we don't feel like praying when you come to a place of spiritual depression when you've prayed and prayed and prayed and your situation is not changing when you don't feel like praying praying is like breathing if you wake up one day and say I don't feel like breathing you'll be forced to breathe and so what do you do when you're spiritually discouraged and the idea there is to call for someone to pray for you this is what James is teaching us in this context verse 14 says is anyone among you sick the word sick there is the word weak if you look at Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to 3 Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 to 3 says therefore since we have we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The same word there, you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. It's the same word here. Is anyone among you sick? So the word there, sick, is to mean weak. It doesn't mean necessarily physical illness. It has the idea of Romans chapter 8 verse 3, the law was weak because it could not save. The same idea in Romans chapter 14 verse 2, the man who is spiritually weak and he only eats vegetables. The same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 11 to 12. I'll read from verse 10, 1 Corinthians 8 verse 10. If anyone, uh, sorry, if anyone sees you, sorry, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother of whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And so it's translated here, sick, but it does mean weak or weary. And so the text in Hebrews, why do I look to Jesus Christ? So that I may not be weary. It doesn't mean I look to Jesus Christ so that I may not get a, a flu or a headache. It's talking about being spiritually discouraged. When you look to Jesus Christ, you won't be spiritually depressed. And so, so verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Is anyone among you weak or weary? Oh, sorry, yes, weak. And then verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The word there translated is weary. And so, for us to really understand these words, we have to understand the context of James. Is James talking to a group of people who are facing a pandemic, who have all kinds of ailments? Not at all. James is talking to a group of people who are facing affliction. And so when rich oppressors take advantage of you, sometimes you get spiritually discouraged, spiritually depressed. Sometimes you grow weak and weary. This is the kind of people that James is writing to. And so the word sick doesn't fit 
with the New Testament theology. The Bible does not teach us that it is God's will to heal all sick people. But the Bible clearly teaches us that it is God's will that none of us should spiritually be discouraged. Why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. It is not depression. It is joy. God does not promise to heal you physically when you're sick. But God wills that all of his people have joy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays about the thorn in his flesh three times. And what does God say? Paul asks for the thorn to be removed, but God says no. God doesn't physically heal us all the time. God tells Paul to trust him in the midst of that thorn, that his grace is sufficient. And so the Bible doesn't teach us that we'll have healing every time we are sick. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, we are told of, um, Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him of a man called Trophimus, sick at Miletus, and Paul says that he left him sick. Yet we know that Paul had the gift of healing. And so the word, verse 14 there, is anyone among you sick, is translated weak. That is the literal meaning of the word. And so the vocabulary allows it, the context supports it, and so the theology also is consistent with what we have in James. And then verse 15, and the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick. The word they are sick means weary. And so it doesn't refer to physical healing at all. Because that's not the purpose of the letter. It's dealing with spiritual weakness, discouragement. So if I'm sick, why should I get you to pray for me? Why should I get the elders pray for me when I am I am sick? There's nothing that tell, that that uh, corroborates that from Scripture. It's not that the prayers of the elders are more powerful than your prayers. All of us have access to the throne of grace. And so, when you translate it as sick, it will mean that the prayers of the elders are heard by God, that the prayers of the congregation are irrelevant. And so, I think that's, sorry, that it's very academic this morning, but I hope it will be profitable to you. Um, you read of the qualification of the elders in First Timothy chapter 3, and there's no gift of healing given to the elders. And so this text is dealing with the spiritually weak, spiritually weary. And so when I get downcast and depressed and I don't want to pray, I don't feel like it. I just want to be alone. And I'm facing an incredibly difficult time. That is the time God says, you need prayers. That is where we come to in verse 14 and 15. And God is saying, you need to find a spiritual man who will come to pray for you. And so who are these spiritual men? It says they are, they are the elders. Here is the plurality of elders in a local church. And what do they do? God has provided for us resources for help in the church. You come to church, it is a community project. You are not in isolation. You are not independent. You are not private. It's not your religion. It's our religion. You are not wired to walk in your Christian faith by yourself. This is a community faith. And so God incarnates his love in the resources that he has given us. And one of the ways that he has incarnated that love 
is through the elders. So James points to us the resources of the elders in the church. God has qualified and set apart a leadership in his church and the leaders are commissioned to provide pastoral care to the sheep of Christ. God has established a way to be a physical, visible care for his people. And that is a picture of what God has for us. So the presence of elders in the church is a sure sign of God's love for you. God wants his sheep to be taken care of, to be pastored, to be shepherded. And so verse 15 says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Notice there that as much as the Lord uses the means of prayer, it's not the prayer that raises that person up. It says what? It says the Lord. It's the Lord who will raise him up. God has appointed prayer as a means to seek him. And so God is the one who hears us. God is the one who answers us. And then verse 15 says, at the end there, it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And so, what kind of sins are we talking about here? If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Yes, God hears intercessory prayers, and as a result, he forgives sins. We know from scripture that on the cross, Jesus Christ prays for those who crucified him. And he says, he prays to God that God will forgive them. Abraham prays for Sodom and Gomorrah. God hears those prayers and he answers them. And so he hears the prayers of others for help. Verse 14 talks about the anointing oil. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So they come and they pray. So what about the anointing oil? So the main verb there is pray. It says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the anointing oil there is a secondary idea. It's telling you how to pray. The focus is on prayer, not the anointing oil. So what should I do when I get spiritually discouraged? I should be praying. And when I get more discouraged, I pray. When I'm so discouraged that I cannot pray, what do you do? It says there, you call on the elders and they pray. Because the sick sheep does not need therapists. They need shepherds. Sick sheep need shepherds. You do not need a therapist or a psychologist when you're discouraged. You need Christ. And the way to tap into the grace of Christ is through prayer. And for that to happen, you need spiritual men to come and to pray for you and to pray with you. And so the elders will come to pray for you. And so this is what is going on in the church. We need to see the necessity of prayer in our lives so much that our life cannot go on without prayer. So what do we do with the anointing oil? Two things there. There are two words. And this is the spiritual sacramental anointing. Oh, so sorry, this is not the spiritual sacramental anointing that he's talking about here. It says the word used here is to have elders pray for him and to rub him with oil. Why? Because it was common at that time. People practiced uh, to rub the sick with oil for many reasons, including refreshment, uh, including honor. We have the example in Luke chapter 7. Jesus goes to the house of a man called Simon. And there's a woman who comes weeping and anointing his feet with oil. Jesus tells Simon, I, gave, I came to your house and you gave me no water for my feet. 
you did not anoint my head with oil. Jesus says that. But she anointed my feet with oil. Jesus says she rubbed his feet with perfume, which was a sign of honor, perhaps a sign of encouragement, a sign of grooming. But Simon did not do it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, when you fast, do not let anyone know. Rather, he says, you anoint your head with oil. Wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. The idea there is when you fast, the way you normally anoint your head with oil, every day, you should also do that. Because when you don't do that, people will wonder what's the problem. So normal grooming is obviously what is encouraged there. And so this is what the elders should do. Verse 15, the prayer of faith, he says, will save. Will, sorry, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it's not a prayer that is going to pick him up. It is God who is going to raise him up. God will restore his strength. So this person is discouraged and he calls on the elders to come and to pray for him. And the Lord says he will raise him up. And so we all of us need constant prayers. And that's why I think depression is one of the challenging things we deal in our age um, today. Depression is our number one mental health problem in our country. And so we should not be seeking for psychological help. The Bible is very clear here that when you pray, when you're discouraged, you pray. When you're discouraged even more, you continue to pray. When you're discouraged to the point that you cannot pray, you're called to call on the elders to pray for you. So keep praying. When it gets harder, keep praying. When it comes to a point where you cannot pray any longer, you're so discouraged, you cannot go on, pick your phone and call us. And we'll come to pray for you. That is how much all of us need prayers. That is the heart of James. And so this is calling us this morning to live a life of prayer. And prayer is a recognition of God's sovereignty, God's presence, God's power, God's character. 